0: As we look at Acts 1, verse 12, this is Luke writing this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room when they were staying, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, the son of the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said... Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a kalidama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Maybe be seated. Would you pray with me? Let's ask for the Spirit's help. Lord, thank you today. Lord, we see you building your church in unique ways. Lord, you've gathered these people together. There's not a, there's not a person here who is not here apart from your providence. There's not a person he, who is not here because you have... Directed their steps. Lord, we thank you for this group of people who've chosen to make this church their church. We thank you to, that we can be here with David and Hardway and, and be able to hear from them and see them, uh, knowing that together, we are on gospel mission, even though we are separated by so many miles. Lord, you've already reminded us this morning that you are a God who is at work. You are a God who is building his church. You are a God who comes to his people in power, and you do what we cannot do. You transform hearts, and you build your church, your unstoppable church that that the gates of hell cannot even come up against. And so, Lord, we ask you to continue to do your work as we now look into your word. Give us understanding. Help us to love it, love your word. Help us to apply your word for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as we begin, I want us to take, just take a moment up front and step back to grasp what's going on in these opening verses of Acts. Uh, for the last three years... The disciples have been with Jesus. That's what the Gospels uh, bring to us. They've been with Jesus for the last three years. The disciples watched as he commanded the weather. They watched on and as he healed the sick, as he controlled demons, as he taught with wisdom like nobody else. Through it all, they have come to believe that Jesus, indeed, he is the Messiah, That they have been waiting for. But then, in a matter of hours, Jesus was gone. Arrested, crucified, buried. You have to wonder if the disciples just slumped their shoulders and said, It's over. It was a good run, but it's over. One can imagine the confusion, the anger, the hopelessness. But then after three days, Jesus appears. He's alive. Imagine the joy and hope. Probably still confused, but the joy and the hope in seeing Jesus. And then for the next 40 days... The next 40 days, Jesus appeared to over 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians 15, spending time with them, explaining, and particular with the disciples, explaining to them what has happened and connecting it to the Old Testament Scriptures and, and preparing them, as we saw last week, for what comes next. When they asked Jesus if he would now restore the kingdom of Israel in, in verse 6, his answer was, the most unexpected answer. Do you remember what it was? It's the key verse in all of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8 where he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then, immediately, Jesus was taken back up into heaven before their very eyes. As they stood, Luke tells us, as they stood staring into the sky, trying to process this unbelievable sight of his ascension, two angels suddenly appeared. Promising that Jesus would return. And just like that, they're alone again. That's where we're at. That's where we're at in Acts 1. And now in verse 12, Luke tells us that this group made their way back into the city. In verse 12, it says they made their way back into the city. It was probably less than a mile walk, but what a walk it must have been. No doubt with the images of Jesus' ascension and his words of his, his, his words of power and global mission to the ends of the earth. Wonder what they thought about that. Most of these guys were country folk from the Sea of Galilee area. We're gonna go to the end of the earth? I don't even know where the end of the earth is. What a walk that must have been with those thoughts racing through their minds. Have you ever had a woe moment in your life? You know, when, when you're part of something and suddenly you realize, wow, this is big. This is way bigger than I thought it could ever be. This is way bigger than me. I think that this was their whoa moment. And yet, this group, they were told by Jesus to wait. Don't do anything. Wait. Wait. And as they waited in obedience, we learned that God was actually preparing them. He was preparing them for the Spirit's work. And that's our focus this morning. Their focus, their preparation is our focus this morning. If we had to take this text and put it into one pregnant sentence, I think it would be this. God prepares us for his work by gathering us as his church. God prepares us for his work by gathering us as his church. Two ways from the text that we get there. The first one is this. This is point one for those of you who are taking notes. Our mission is a call to persistently pray together. Last week we talked about the Christian life is, it's a mission. We have purpose we are going somewhere the holy spirit is at work through through the church advancing the gospel through the church whether that's here whether that's in santa ana california or that's in santa cruz bolivia we are on mission and we see as these this small group of believers as they as they begin to as they wait they are actually being prepared for their mission So here's what we see. Our mission is a call to persistently pray together. Look at verse 13 with me again. Luke says, And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, the Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, the 11 disciples, and all of them with one accord were devoting themselves together to prayer or were devoting themselves to prayer together with the men, women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. These people made the the walk back to the city. They are in the upper room, and I don't know how uh, or when they thought, how they envisioned this promise of verse 8 was going to be fulfilled. Certainly they could have said, well, you know what? We're called to wait And they could have went back to their families. They could have went back to their farms. They could have went back to their fishing boats as they waited. But they didn't. They didn't. They they could have enjoyed Jerusalem. They could have enjoyed the city as they waited. But instead, their response to this woe moment was to gather and pray. It was to pray together. Now Luke doesn't tell us the content of their prayers, but he does say this in verse 14. Notice what verse 14 says. He says that they were of one accord, meaning they were united in what they were thinking about. They were united in their focus. They were united in their prayers. And then he says that they devoted themselves to prayer. You could interpret that they prayed constantly. They were persistently praying. They were together with one mind, and they were giving themselves to prayer. Now, what do you think they might have been praying about? What could have been the focus of their prayers? I think that I think that given the, the, the spectacular promises and events of verses six through 11 and the fact that they immediately prayed with one mind in verse 14, I, I believe their prayers were most likely focused on the promises and the mission at hand. I submit that their prayers were probably characterized by two things. They probably showered praises on God for his plan of salvation in Jesus that was now beginning to unfold before them, and that they had the privilege of being a part. This was bigger than they could have ever imagined. And Jesus Himself has said, You fishermen, you farmers, you will be my witnesses to the ends. Of the earth, I think second, they were probably praying, crying out in desperation for the hastening of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Empower our witness. I don't know if you're like me, but if I'm given something to do, I want to get after it, right? I want to get to it, especially if I'm really excited about it. I think that they... They probably anticipated good things. They were probably eager to begin to talk about Jesus. So no doubt, they, they probably were praying. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We're only three verses into our text and we find opportunity for application this morning. This week, I've asked myself this question Repeatedly, and I want to submit it for your consideration as well. To what degree are my prayers characterized by gratitude for God's saving work in my life? And longing for the Spirit's empowering presence. For a very specific reason. To be a gospel witness to others. I think that characterized their prayers. They're together for 10 days. It's 10 days between the ascension and Pentecost. And I, I believe this is what they were praying, given what Luke tells us. And so I I've wondered, I've this week evaluated my own prayers. Are they characterized by gratitude for the gospel in my life and for the empowering presence of the Spirit to tell others about Jesus? I think that if we're honest, we, we pray much for our personal needs, right? We, we pray much for our weaknesses. We're very aware of our weaknesses. We pray much for the difficulties and hardships in our life, that they drive us to our knees in prayer, don't they? And we should because that's that's how the Bible teaches us. James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, pray. If you're sick, pray. There's nothing wrong with praying, offering up our needs to the Lord, offering up our weaknesses and difficulties. But our prayers should never only be characterized by that. This, this great gospel mission that God has graciously made us a part of is far bigger than ourselves and I would submit to you that our prayers should reflect that bigness. If we are honest, most of our prayers maybe perhaps for some uh, are in isolation. Maybe some of you say, I can't remember the last time I prayed with a group of Christians where I prayed publicly around other People, but one of the things that we see in, in in the opening days of this mission, this gospel mission is that God gathered his people to pray together and for good reason hebrews 12, 1 talks about it refers to the people. Uh, it refers to the people exemplified for their faith in what we like to call the, the 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 hall of faith, Hebrews 11, right? The great faith of those that went before us. It refers to them as a cloud of witnesses, meaning that their lives, their examples, their faith, it it, it testifies to the faithfulness of God as they persevered in faith. And I would submit to you this morning a, a way to think about praying together is that is that when we pray together, we, in a sense, form a cloud of witnesses testifying to the truth of God through our prayers. I mean, just think about this. When when I hear someone pray, our heavenly Father who is seated above the heavens, do you know where my mind goes? In that moment, my mind goes to the character of God. My mind goes to Psalm 8. God is transcendent and sovereign, yet intimate and engaged with his people. When I'm with somebody and I hear their prayers about the greatness of God, it draws my own thoughts, it encourages my soul with the greatness. Of God, when I hear someone pray, "Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace in my life i 'm reminded immediately of ephesians two one through four that that God is merciful that that I am a sinner, deserving his wrath indeed that 's who I once was, like The rest of mankind by nature, a child of his wrath, enslaved to my sin, a follower of Satan. And yet, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, that thought comes rushing in when I hear somebody thanking God through their prayers for his gospel work in their lives. It is so easy to lose sight of this fact that once I was lost, but now I'm saved. Once I was blind, but now I see. We get out there in the world and we forget who we are in Christ. We forget that there is one who came, this historic Jesus that we see in Acts, who came and who lived a life that provides for our righteousness that God demands. And he bore the penalty for our sins, bearing the full wrath of God so that our sins would not be counted against us. Not because God is fickle and can be negotiated with, but because God, Christ, actually took our wrath for those sins. How easy is it for me to forget that when I get up every morning with a performance mentality? thinking I need to earn what God has given me. I need to work hard so that I will stay in the good graces of God. And whether it's my wife, it's my kids, or it's here on a Sunday morning, to hear somebody praying and thanking God for the grace in their life, oh, it draws my soul upward. It's like a fresh drink of water for that marathoner on the 24th mile who just feels wasted and wiped. And somebody's prayer that's saturated with the gospel comes rushing in and stirs my soul up. When I hear someone pray for the unbeliever in their life, the faces of unbelievers in my life come rushing into my mind. People I can so easily forget about. Because after all, I'm a pastor and I got a sermon to prepare. I got books to read. A sheep to shepherd. I got a wife to care for and live life with. It's so easy to forget about those who don't know Jesus who are living life in the same way that when I was 27, I was. It's easy to live as if the lost don't exist. (laughs) And if you're here this morning, can I just appeal to you? If you're here this morning, there's nothing special about us. (laughs) Tim reminded us of this this morning. You heard it from David this morning. There's nothing great about us. Except for this, the one who knows us. The one who by grace has caused us to know him. Jesus, God in flesh, who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but entered the flow of fallen humanity. That means he came to us, (laughs) And offered himself as a sacrifice, a sufficient sacrifice that turns away wrath. There's a biblical word for that, it's called propitiation. Jesus was our propitiation according to Romans 3. And the Bible says you don't have to put on your Sunday best, you don't have to get yourself from point A to point B. Believe, believe in this Jesus that he lived and he died for you. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. There's not a formula. There's not a litmus test. You just bow your heart right now where you're at in humility and cry out for God's mercy to apply the person and work of Jesus Christ to your life. And by grace and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, through your faith that Ephesians says was a gift, he makes you part of his family, and that means he brings you into mission with his people. See, when I hear others pray for the unbeliever in their life, that's where it takes me. Church, it's so easy to underestimate praying together, right? All day long in the classroom, in the office, through the media, we are bombarded by mockers and scoffers who laugh at the very thought of God and the gospel. And and it's easy to get worn down. But when we come together and pray, God-centered, scripture-rich Gospel-laden prayers. The fruit and effect is that we hear who the Lord is and what He has done and is doing in our lives. We are reminded of and energized for our purpose and a mission as a church. So let's not underestimate praying together. Let's not just blow through these opening verses in, in the verses in twelve to fifteen because we want to get to the apostle stuff. <laughs> But let's see that as God prepared his people for their powerful mission, he gathered them to pray together. And I just want to extend an invitation to everybody here. We have a place where the church can pray together every single Sunday. In a sense, we pray together here and we have. It's called pre-service prayer. And most of the time, it's, it's those who are serving that Sunday. But that service, that that preacher's prayer, is open to everyone. And I want to invite you. You want to begin to pray with your church? Come. Oh, it might be chaotic because your kids are with you. That's okay. Teach them to pray. But come. Every week, God gives us an opportunity to gather and prepare our hearts, in a sense, for what he has for us right now. So God, God called them together, and that teaches us that our mission is a call to pray together. Second, our mission our mission is a call to pursue god 's word together we 're not going to go through all this, but in verses fifteen through twenty six we find Matthias being chosen as the one to replace Judas in the apostolic band judas uh, if you 're i 'm sure most of you are familiar, but Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, one of the one of the 12 in Jesus' earthly ministry, he betrayed Jesus by turning Jesus over to the authorities. Well, he's dead now. Matthew teaches us that, that, that he hung himself, and we see here in these verses that his suicide ended in an unforgettable and gruesome public spectacle according to verses 18 and 19. And as they began to get their house in order for the mission at hand, Judas's replacement was critical. As the, as the leaders of God's people, these men would be known as the apostles. That's what Luke calls them, in fact, in our text. And they had a central role. We'll see that. They, they have a central role in the early church. They had a central role throughout Acts. But our text reveals two unique roles that the apostles played. First, their number, Judas was needed to be replaced because the very existence of 12 apostles was evidence of the continuity in the Old Testament between the church and Israel. These 12 apostles, in a sense, drew continuity with the 12 tribes that reflected the covenantal faithfulness of God, now fulfilled, not in something separate, but now fulfilled in Christ and the Spirit and God's people, now the church. Not a nation, not an ethnic group, but the church. Second, their, their qualifications were unique. They had to be eyewitnesses. Notice what it says in verse Uh, 21. They had to be eyewitnesses to the early life of Jesus and his resurrection. Verse 21 says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out in and out among us. So they had to they had to give witness to his earthly life. And then he says, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So an apostle needed to witness the er earthly life of Jesus as well as the resurrection. In other words, the 12 apostles they needed to be they were the guarantors if you will of the gospel tradition. They were the guardians of the historic nature of Jesus and the gospel. They needed to be able to say to the skeptics, I was there. I saw it. Monice, oh, it's real. Last week we talked about how Christianity is based on fact. Right? Well, the apostles were the guarantors, if you will. They did much more than that. And we're going to learn plenty about the apostles as we study Acts. But here's what I want us to see in this text today. The choosing of Matthias as the 12th apostle was the fruit of studying the scriptures together notice what it says in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture had to be fulfilled. He goes on to say, concerning Judas. The scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas. Now, Peter then goes on to quote Scripture regarding, well, they applied it to Judas. You'll notice in in verse 20, specifically, Luke or or Peter uh, uh, quotes Psalm 69, which they applied to Jesus' betrayal and death, or Judas' betrayal and death, and then Psalm 109, which they applied to his replacement. Notice that he says in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Going back to the Scriptures, may his camp become desolate and that there be no one to dwell in it. And, this is Psalm 109, uh, 109, let another take his office. Now, after rooting their decision to replace Judas in Scripture, they now follow the pattern of Scripture to choose his replacement. You'll notice in verse 23 through 26, or verse 26, it says that they chose two men, and then they cast lots. They prayed and said, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen, verse 25, to take the place in this ministry. And then in verse 26, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with 11 apostles. They weren't being pagans, by the way. (laughs) Casting lots was a very common Old Testament tradition. Very common Old Testament tradition. So, what I want you to see here is that what they did, choosing, knowing they needed to choose a 12th man, the way they chose, they looked to scriptures. As they waited for the promised Holy Spirit, they studied the scriptures together, connecting the dots to what is now happening. No doubt they, they searched and studied the scriptures to understand their mission in light of Jesus' life and death and resurrection ascension and then the coming Holy Spirit. They were in the word in a few weeks, and just ten, in a few weeks, we're gonna see. We're gonna see that 10 days after what happened in our text, Peter stands up at Pentecost and gives this amazing sermon that connects all the dots between the prophets and Jesus and the coming promise and the promised coming Holy Spirit. I, I think he was probably studying the scriptures. He wasn't just mending his fishing nets as he waited. And I'm sure knowing Peter, he was leading the others in studying the scriptures. As they waited for the promised Holy Spirit, they faithfully studied the scriptures together. They prayed together. They studied God's word together as they were being prepared for the mission God had called them to and was about to empower them for. Raise your hand. I know we hate this, don't we? <laughs> now, I, now I don't know if I can do it after that. I don't get a lot of amens when I preach. <laughs> Raise your hand, including the amen If you want God to bless our church, amen. I submit to you a primary way God blesses the church is through its gathering to pray together and open the word together. To know it, to understand it, to obey it, to cherish it, and to proclaim it to the lost around us. Don't succumb. L- listen. it's easy to get focused on the role of the apostles and how important the apostles were. Don't miss what's going on here. Togetherness, particularly praying together and studying God's word together characterizes God's people. Don't don't, don't succumb to the delusion blinding believers today that live stream services and Zoom small groups are sufficient. They're not. They're not. God has always intended his people to gather together. And there's a delusion out there right now. I've talked to people. Oh, we love Zoom. It's great. Yeah, we do live stream church. Oh, no, we don't feel like we... Don't. Don't don't, don't succumb to that delusion. Don't believe the lie that what you need most, what your kids need most is out there, not in here, gathered with God's people. Don't embrace the fallacy, and I believe it's a fallacy, That you can grow in your faith as God desires while isolating yourself from his church. It's not God's intentions. And we see that clearly all over scripture, don't we? And even as the gospel begins to go forth and take over the world, what do we see God doing? Jesus says, wait for the promised spirit who will come upon you in power and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Okay, what while we wait, what do we do? And God gathers them. And they pray. And they study God's word together. Listen, I believe critical to the church right now is how every Christian answers this question. How high a priority are the times my church gathers to pray and open God's word together. How high a priority in my life are the times when my church gathers to pray and open God's word together? Listen, I speak for Tim. We are grateful that there is much grace in this church when it comes to our gatherings. From Sunday mornings to community groups to Forge to Woven to SGU, by the way, all coming back soon. <laughs> I keep saying that, but they're on the calendar. So much grace. But keep pressing in. All the more, let, let us give ourselves to praying together, to opening God's word together, to learning together. This life is a mission. It's short. And God prepares us. He prepares us to reach the lost through what we do right here. This isn't just about growing. This isn't just about sanctification. God is preparing us right now To encounter that person tomorrow in the class, in the in the in the hallway at school, or in the around the water cooler in the office, or on the construction site, or on the soccer field, or as you're walking in the neighborhood. Praying and studying the word together. This is how the original 120 prepared for God's work in them, for them and through them. It marked. These things marked their purpose by demonstrating their desperation for the Spirit, expressing their sense of privilege and obligation to their mission, and fueling hope in their hearts for fruitfulness in their mission. To be clear, we can't create fruit. That's not what this is about. Praying together... And opening up God's word together is not to ensure that we will be fruitful. It's obedience to the Lord. And as we do it, we trust that he will bear fruit in us and for us and through us in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our fishing ponds. As I look around our city... I see so much gospel work that needs to be done. So many people. We were just out to dinner last night, sitting on a nice patio in the cool night air, having dinner with David and Hodway, and kind of listening to the conversation to the left. And I thought, they're lost. (laughs) I was there once. So many people enslaved to sin, deception, and suffering. But I also see the church increasingly shaped by and swept up in our culture. Moving away, not moving toward God's word, but moving away from God's word. Not moving toward prayer, but moving to self-sufficiency. Not moving to a, to a. A togetherness, a community, but isolating. Believing that my Bible, my living room, my TV screen, it's fine. It's not fine. And here's my prayer. I'm praying the Lord will send revival to us. I'm praying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit and power to preach and witness Jesus to this city. And you know what the Lord reminds me of in those prayers? Derek, revival begins in here. It begins in here, not out there. And so we must prepare. We must prepare for God's work by turning our focus, and for many of you, by continuing to turn your focus to God through prayer and being in the word together. Trusting, not in our efforts, not in our disciplines, but trusting that as we do, by the grace of God, the spirit work in us and for us and through us not for our name, not for our renown, but for the renown and glory of Jesus.